It's Divas That Care Radio. Stories, strategies, and ideas to inspire positive change. Welcome to Divas That Care, a network of women committed to making our world a better place for everyone. This is a global movement for women, by women, engaged in a collaborative effort to create a better world for future generations. To find out more about the movement, visit divasthatcare.com after the show. Right now, though, stay tuned for another jolt of inspiration. We all seem to have that inner critic inside our heads. I have a committee, the itty-bitty shitty committee. You know what I mean, that nagging voice or voices in my case that knocks us down and drags us down the road of self-sabotage and self-neglect. A strong, positive sense of self-esteem is your first step to anything you wish to accomplish. Discover who you truly are, that gorgeous, talented, fabulous woman who deserves recognition and unconditional love. You know the most beautiful thing any woman can wear is confidence. Here on Confidence in Bloom with the Divas That Care Network, I, Tina Spolatini, speak with women living in their own self-confidence about who they truly are, how they found themselves, and how they care for themselves. Today, I'm speaking with Allie Bird. Allie Bird is a widow, therapist, coach, speaker, and author of Grief Ally, helping people you love cope with with death, loss, and grief. Since her husband's untimely death, Allie Bird has poured her heart into helping those who feel helpless during an unexpected crisis. She is on a mission to change the culture of grief. Welcome, Allie. Thank you, Tina. I'm really happy to be here with you today. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining me. So first off, I want to start with I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Um, me too. You you will tell you will tell us, you know, the story. So why don't we start there? Why don't we start with the purpose of your book? Yeah. So when I was 30 years old, I was you know, trucking along in life and doing pretty well, I thought. Um, I was working as a coach. I was just starting to, you know, dig my feet into the industry. And out of nowhere, my partner, my husband, the person that I had chose to spend the rest of my life with, um, died in an accident completely unexpectedly. And I was sent into the world of grief without any understanding of what it was like to live with a life-changing loss. Um, but what I soon realized into, into my grief was that I was having an experience that was very different, um, than what other bereaved people were describing. They were describing feeling left behind and misunderstood and abandoned. And the people around me were not doing that. You know, my best friends and family stuck by me despite making mistakes and, it really, you know, opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, when somebody dies, there are so many people looking for the answers to what do I do and how do I help? And yet they have to mine the internet for suggestions. And even then, you know, it's pretty limited to, you know, go to the ceremony, whether that's a funeral or a celebration of life or some sort of, you know, spiritual um, activity, send flowers, send food, And, you know, don't disappear. But if you are someone's, like, best friend, um, just sending food isn't going to be enough. So I took the lessons that my support network and I, you know, used to to navigate this world that none of us ever would have chosen to live in, 
and put those lessons into the book. Um, and that's where I, you know, find myself now is really on a mission to change the way we show up for bereaved people. Oh, so you're more of, like you're out to teach the people. Okay, so directly, like, let's just face, okay, like someone's loved ones, like you're there to help the loved ones help the one who's lost the most. I mean, we've all lost, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're sort of being the person that you needed the help from. Yeah. In, in some ways. Yes. So the, the majority of the advocacy work that I do right now um, is with that specific population. And then I also have a private practice where, I will work specifically with people who are really at the epicenter of uh, of a tragedy or you know a, a death related loss too. Right. Oh, that's that sounds really interesting and like perfect timing. In, in <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get too much into my own personal issues, but yeah, like I I needed someone like that, like I needed someone to help me because I never know what to say. Right. Yeah. I want to help, but I don't like I, I can come and I can cook you a meal or I can send you a meal, you know, or I can send you a text and say, listen, I'm thinking of you. How's it going? But the truth mm-hmm. is, as the one who's lost like a parent or a spouse, you need more than that. Right. You need someone to like feel the feels with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So the way I, you know, see see the world of, of, of grief work and and the way I approach it is that like grief support is a team sport. <laughs> you know, there's there are there's a role for the clinician, you know, the therapist, the doctor, but then there's also like some really big roles that people who are, you know, are the friends of the family and that sort of thing that that can step up and, and do more than, than just send, you know, a casserole um, or a sympathy card. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, I mean, in the end, that's kind of an easy way out. Right? Yeah, and I don't I mean, want to dismiss anyone's, you know, intentions for, you know, doing the best they can with the resources that they have. But I think there's, yeah, there's a bit of a you know, a philosophy about grief support that's that's really missing in terms right. of, you know, just saying, like, I'm so sorry for your loss, sending some food and some flowers, and then people are like, okay, like, wash their hands, being like, I've done the grief support thing. Right, and right. The reality I've done, is my, that I've grief, done my thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Grief is something that lasts forever, and people who – you know, our feeling deep grief needs support for much, much longer than what we offer um, socially in our culture right now. Right, right. And the thing is, I mean, in general, people don't like to talk about feelings. And so once they've done their, they think that they've done their part, I've sent the meal, I've sent flowers, I went to the funeral, you know, I, I can now forget about those feelings and move on with my life because we all know life goes on, right? Mm-hmm. But we tend to forget that person who, like, I mean, we've all had a loss to some degree when that person dies, but the, the you know, the the direct, the dependence of that person are going to suffer for a long time 
they're not just going to end with the funeral and say, okay, life goes on, let's get moving. You're so right. Yeah. Yeah. It -hmm. takes a long time to kind of reconcile the, the absence of that one person and then all the losses that come with that person not being around anymore. Wow. So you deal with um, those people that have, they, they want to do more than just send the flowers and the, the meal. They, you you, you kind of help them to help more, right? Exactly. A better yes. support system. And so how do you, like, where do you start with that? Like someone comes to you and says, listen, my, you know, I just lost my sister-in-law. She's got, you know, her kids are in their 30s. You know, how do I, how do I help them? How do I deal with that? Is that kind of how it works? Like you start with them coming to you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of that. It's also a bit of outreach on my part. I do a number of speaking events promoting the book and the lessons that I teach in the book. And then sometimes it's just as simple as having conversations with people after, after a talk and just kind of, you know, giving them a little more guidance um, where they need it. Uh, because I think, I think what people, the, the big misconception about grief support is that it's, I mean, one that it, it can be like a one and done thing, but then further to that, if, if they're willing to, you know, enter the the space with this person who, you know, is at the epicenter of the loss, that it's some sort of like really hard science <laughs> to be there in that space. And, you know, part of my work is really debunking that myth. And the reality is that anybody can be in a grief support role and you don't have to, there are a few skills that you should have, but anybody can be there in that space. What it takes is, you know, a really strong practice of self-care and managing the feelings that come up for you. It takes being an active listener um, and being able to listen without fixing anything. And then the third piece is just like relying on your own strengths and assets. So I tell people, you know, if, if food is your thing, you are more than welcome to like focus on food. Um, but you might not be a food person and you have so many other strengths that you could apply to supporting this person. Maybe you're really great with paperwork or attention to detail or, you know, you are a caregiver and, and willing to, you know, take the kids for, for a bit. Or maybe you are someone who, you know, is very comfortable seeing someone's feelings and you are the person that they can go to and with their, their big feelings when they're having them. So it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. Right. And we all have different, like you said, we all have different strengths, right? Yeah. Like person number one might be really great at, you know, preparing food and wants to give the food, but then person number two might not enjoy the cooking, but might, you know, rather sit and listen to them, you know, listen to me cry, right? Like, exactly. I remember when my, my uncle passed away, he was very young, he was 42. And my grandma, of course, she took it, obviously, really hard, because no mother wants to lose a child. And yeah. I remember, like, the family telling her to stop crying. And I used to think, why? Why would you tell yeah. her that? Like, she needs to grieve, even if it is five years later. 
right? I yes. mean, you never get over it. Am I right? Like, you, you never no. really get over that pain. No, absolutely not. And I think that's on also another misconception, too, is right, that there's some timeline, like, oh, like, two years, three years, five years, like, you shouldn't feel anything anymore. And I think what I try and teach is that you're always going to feel something. You know, some days it might be gratitude or happiness with, like, a certain memory, but there are other days where you're going to feel sad, you're going to feel lonely, and there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean that, you know, they are not managing their grief well. It doesn't matter, like, mean that they need, like, psychiatric help. It doesn't mean that they're depressed. It just means that this person who has died was someone that they cared about deeply, and they're always going to have feelings about that person. Right, right. And and I and it's I mean obviously it's going to be different with every situation, right? I mean we're all we all grieve differently, right? Just because you don't grieve for one person the same as the other, you know, the third time around you might be a little bit easier or or harder. Like it all depends on you at, in your life situation as well. Absolutely, there's so many factors that can influence um, the ways that a person can and and does grieve right like and it's not exclusive to their their own personality and biology like life circumstances can also dictate you know how much space someone has to to feel their emotions or whether they they have to put their head down and and power through to keep paying the rent for example um or whether you know it's culturally appropriate to to cry um in public spaces and that sort of thing so yeah you're you're completely on track there that everyone's grief is different and everyone's grief for every loss will be different. Right. Right. And just because they're not crying doesn't mean they're not hurting. Yeah. Oh my I've goodness. learned that. Yes. Yeah. I've yes. learned that. And I think, I think too, like people think that, that grief is, you know, means the same thing as being sad and it's not. So I like to say that, you know, grief, grief itself is, is not a feeling. Grief is just energy and that can be expressed as any feeling on a feeling wheel. So some, some moments you might feel rage and that's how you're expressing your grief. Other times you might be laughing incontrollably and that's an expression of your grief. Um, so just because someone doesn't look sad or isn't crying all the time doesn't mean that they are not experiencing grief. Right, right. Now, I remember, oh, this has got to be 25 years ago. I remember someone that was close to us had passed away and um, his wife was going through, like, she went through anger, she went through denial, she went through a little bit of depression. And I remember someone saying that there's seven, seven stages of grief. There are five. Have you ever heard I mean, of that before? <laughs> oh, nine. Okay, so can, five. can you tell me what those are? Well, five. Okay. Yeah, maybe just maybe touch on those a little bit. Yeah, so the way I'm going to touch on them is probably not the way you expect me to, and that is, like, they should be thrown away. <laughs> ah, so they're so not the, real anymore. They are not real anymore. And, in fact, they, they never should have been advertised as five stages of grief. Um, so the five stages of grief was a model um, created by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who actually – took the lessons from people who are dying and found themes. And that's where the five stages came from. So then she applied those five stages to grief, but it's never been scientifically proven. And it often does more harm than good because people think that 
you know, I'll go through these five stages and it's a linear process. But if I go back to a stage at some point, then I've done grief wrong or there's something wrong with me. When in fact, the five stages of grief there, I think there's like denial, anger, acceptance, depression. I don't know what the other one is. doesn't really matter. Um, they're just a sample of things you can feel. You might go through the five stages of grief in a day and you definitely won't do them linearly. And you're probably going to revisit them many, many times. Um, and that's just the nature of grief. There's no universal laws when it comes to it, right? There are only common experiences. Right. Okay. So that totally makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, my, I was, you know, like I was thinking with myself, like, I'm okay, so maybe I'm not normal because I didn't go through all this, right? Like I yeah. did go through it but not in that order, number one, and not to the point where acceptance meant, okay, you know, she's gone, I'm over it, right? Like yeah, and I don't, I don't think any – yeah, exactly. They're just setting people up to fail against some arbitrary, you know, words and descriptions. So I think the, the right. best advice that I can give anyone is, is toss it out. If, if you want to use, like, a tool, like, the best thing you can do in terms of when it comes to feelings is, is get a feeling wheel – and just be able to name them when you're having them. Um, there's a lot of uh, scientific evidence that says, you know, when you can name your emotions, they have less control over you. Um, so that's what I advocate for, just being able to label it and say, like, oh, I'm having this feeling, and then maybe explore a little bit about why. But that's the best utility right. you can have in terms of, you know, labeling where you are at any given moment. Right. And that that totally makes sense, right? I mean, like, you know, I've, I've heard as a, as a life coach myself, I know that when you're feeling something, it's okay to sit in that feeling, right? It's, yes. it's accept the feeling, allow it to go through you. You don't need to put any ownership on it. It's just right now it's here, but it will pass. Yes, yes. And I think that's that's a great reminder, you know, of all the feelings that come with grief. You know, people really struggle with the ones that are more uncomfortable. But the reality is, is that, yeah, feelings are finite, right? They move through you and then the next one comes. And nobody has ever woken up, you know, one morning, being, woken up happy and said like, oh, no, I'm going to be happy forever, right? But that's often the mentality that we have when we're like, oh, no, I'm sad today. I'm going to be sad forever. And, yeah, you might be yeah. sadder for a longer period of time than you really ever have been in your life. But sadness can't, feelings don't stick around forever. They right. really don't. Yeah. Wow. So now you were already a coach when this happened to you, when you had to learn this side of you. What kind of coaching mm -hmm. do you do? So um, before Will died, I was a life coach and I was working with, millennials to help them navigate big life transitions. So whether that was leaving a job, getting a new job, changing relationships, um, moving across the country, changing careers, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and it's, it's funny now, you know, looking back on it, I, I don't really believe in anything, you know, call it karma or what, but I was definitely learning a language of grief before I had a label for it. Um, I remember, you know, one of my one of my clients um, was leaving, you know, the career that she had trained for um, and really wanted to, you know, switch into a different field that she was being called to switch to. 
and we we held a funeral for her first career. Um, oh my! Yeah, it, you know it was you know it was it was playful, obviously, but like she was having some big feelings about it. And I'm like, let's have a ceremony and like just recognize that that this is you know a, a crossing a threshold um, in your life, and we'll we will celebrate it and honor it and acknowledge it as though you know this is a death. <laughs> Um, and, and now I, I work with, you know, life and death every day. Wow. Isn't it funny though, how the world always seems to bring you to where you need to be, right? Yes. So strange. (laughs) Wow. That's so weird. So you, you speak on, on, on death, you speak on like the, the grieving and the, the dealing with loss. Do you, do you, Deal generally more with um, people that are losing loved ones, or are you do you deal a lot still with people that are they've lost their job or they've you know moved to a different city and they've had to deal with all those transitions? It's mostly death related losses at this point. Um, I I fully acknowledge though that you know um, loss rarely is a singular experience. So the death of a person creates this kind of domino effect of all sorts of different losses. So the entry point that I usually come to work with people now is because of a death um, of someone that they had a significant relationship with. But with that can come, you know, they might have to move. They might take on a career transition there are all sorts of things that change in their life because this one person is, you know, taken out of the ecosystem of how their, their day-to-day life works. Um, so I, yes and no <laughs> to answer your question. Um, the, yeah. the, the entry point is, is definitely death, but there is a lot of, of change and navigating transitions um, that comes when, you experience the death of someone close to you. Right. I, I could see that because you're dealing with like, okay, so my partner has now passed away. I can't live in this house by myself, so I need to move yeah. to a smaller place. And there's a lot more. It's not just about my partner now. It's also about, you know, I raised my kids in that house and this happened in yeah. that house and that happened. Yeah, you're dealing with the grief of all those things now too. That must make Absolutely. it very difficult like, you need to be, I, I, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like for you to sit through an hour or two with a client who is dealing with all that to stay strong. Like, you, it must drain your energy in, in, a, in a large, large way. You know, Tina, I get, I get that a lot. And people ask me, you know, how, how do I keep myself from, like, going down the rabbit hole? But from my own lived experience, like this, these are the conversations that I feel are worthy of my time. Like the world I want to live in is a world where the conver- these conversations like happen out in the open and we don't have to go seek out, you know, professional support to have conversations about how tough life gets when we lose somebody that we love. And so I see it, you know, I and it probably sounds weird, but I feel quite energized. Like 
being in those moments and being able to offer someone the validation to know that, you know, you are not crazy, you are not doing this wrong, and, you know, you are doing the best you can in a world that is incredibly grief illiterate and completely death adverse. Um, and I often, I feel very privileged and honored to be the person who tells them that, you know, it's okay that they're not okay right now. Yes, I could see that. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, but I do, that, I do right? have a, yeah, exactly. I do have a very, you know, strong self-care practice. <laughs> yeah, um, that's my too, but, question. I would love yeah. to know what that is. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll start with, it starts with sleep. Um, I am really focused on making sure that I get enough sleep. And when I don't get enough sleep, it is incredibly obvious. Like my emotional state changes quite significantly. Um, So I start there. Um, I have a dog um, who is the best dog in the world. Her name is Renegade. She's a Shiba Doodle. And her presence is just the sweetest loveliest gift for me every day she lays on my chest when I'm anxious we go for walks and she makes me laugh um it's really wonderful I I have a wonderful relationship with garbage tv (laughs) um so I will you know I use that tool sometimes um I love yoga and also um singing so I can't go a day without the ability to sing out loud, um, whether it's in the shower, whether it's in the car, whether it's, you know, in the house when nobody else is at home. Um, it's really important for me to be able to sing every day. And then on top of that, I have a wonderful support network of, you know, after Will died, I really had to, you know, do a survey of the people in my life and say like, hey, I'm going to need you a lot, a lot more than um, when Will was alive. And they have really stepped up um, in the most incredible ways. So I have a number of people, you know, if I am having a down day and I need someone to talk to, um, there is always somebody who's going to pick up my call. And I am really, really grateful for that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's and that's something that, I mean, I think we all need that like in general, without going yes. through grief, right? Yes. You need to have that friend that you can call at, you know, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and you know they're going to pick up. Um, yes. But when you're dealing with grief, right, that is, I mean, that you need, like, you know, like, because I, I would think, and I haven't been this close to it, there's lots of things that go through your brain. And sometimes I would think it's easier to say to yourself, I don't need to be here without this person. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, I'm sure you're, you're like spot that on. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing that, that stopped me from, from, you know, acting on any sort of, you know, suicidal ideation is that I didn't want to anybody else to have to feel the pain that I was feeling because I knew that there were so many people in the world that loved me who would have been heartbroken, like absolutely catastrophically heartbroken. And I would describe that as the way that I, you know, felt when Will died. I didn't want anybody else in my life to feel that pain. 
Um, and truthfully, like that's, that's, that's what kept me alive. <laughs> um, I think, and, uh, yeah, I, I think that that really speaks to the, you know, the caliber of the, of the friendships that I have as well. Um, to know that, you know, I, I am so close with, with so many people that me leaving this world would be catastrophic. Right. And maybe that's, you know, over, I don't want to so like sound like have some sort of like self-inflated personality, but yeah, it was, it was my way of like, I'm managing the pain of others by sticking around. Right. Well, I don't think that that <clears throat> sounds like self-centered or selfish because, I mean, let's face it, we all have someone, right? Like, yeah. I know, like, you know, I mean, it's one thing when you lose a parent, but when a parent loses a child, right, it's, it's, it's terrible. Like, nobody wants, nobody wants to lose anyone, right? We don't. No sit there and, and make a list of, well, I'm okay if this person dies, but, you know, it's not okay if that person dies. It doesn't work that way. We don't have that choice, right? Mm -hmm. And I would hope that nobody would make that list. But parents do not want to lose their children before them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so that, if you still have parents on this earth, right, then they, that's yes. one person that's enough, right? Yeah. Because I wouldn't want to exactly. see my parents suffer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I mean, so too, like, to speak to my loss, like, that, like, you know, a parent losing a child is, is horrid. But you also, you know, you don't choose to spend the rest of your life with someone with the intention that you're going to see them die, right? Right. Um, so, like, the, the the moment that you're describing about, like, all the other people I would choose to to die, like, those those thoughts, like, went through my head, too, about, like, why Will? Why me? Um, right. Because I could have, I could have chosen, it could have made you a list of all the other people I would have chosen to die um, besides him. Um, right. But he was the one who did. Yeah. Right. But the reality is, you do that out of, like, pity for yourself, right? You're doing that. Like, why couldn't you take that person? Because I need him, right? That person, you know, I don't need that person as much, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. But the, but the reality is you really wouldn't ask for that person to be gone. No, right? You were just absolutely in not. That, that little bit of insanity at the moment, right, With when you're grief-stricken. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I understand yeah. that 100%. Yeah, I yeah. really understand that. Yeah. So I, I want to talk more about your book. You said it's, it's stories, like, that you sort of come across. Am I right? Is that how I understood it properly? Like, it's, 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 it's not like this is the step that you have to do. Oh, it is. It's more like a lesson. Okay. Yes. Um, so, so the book is, is set up. Each chapter builds on one another, and it teaches you kind of like the fundamental, like, steps and – mindset that anyone who is in a grief support role should have. Okay. Well, this sounds super interesting because it's like, I think everybody needs to know this. Right? I, I so completely gotten, agree with you, Tina. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, I mean, we, none of us know how we're going to handle grief. And none of us know how to, ha like, how to support and help 
someone who is grieving. So I really, I, I'm looking, in, I'm going to get this book. Where can I buy it? <laughs> On anywhere um, you, you buy books commercially. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Chapters, Indigo, Audible, um, Apple Books, Google Books, all of that. Um, if you want to purchase it from an independent bookstore, they can also order it for you. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it just sounds so in I mean, I don't want to be intrigued, I'll be honest, right? But at the same yeah. time, I it's it's a tool that we could all have in our pocket because we don't know when we're going to need it. Right? Some I of us I completely know, agree. Yeah. Yeah, I Some advocate that it's something that Yes, it's something that everybody I think should have on their bookshelf so when the time comes and you do never know when that time is going to come. You will need it eventually, and then you will have it. Um, and it really, it kind of just, you know, it's, it's a bit of a roadmap, and it gives people more guidance than, you know, make a casserole, make it something that's breathable, and, you know, drop it off with a card. And, you know, part of the reason that, that I wrote the book, and a lot of people assumed when I said that I was going to write a book, they thought that, you know, it would be a memoir. And that it would be, you know, the ins and outs of, of my experience with grief. But there's already so many memoirs out there, and they are all beautifully written. But they are more written for the people who are like me, who are at the epicenter of something, you know, tragic, losing a loved one. And when someone dies, so for me, for example, like I was in shock probably for about six weeks before I really started to feel any feelings related to Will's death. Like, I, I obviously, like, you know, I, I felt things, you know, in those six weeks, but it was the, the significance of his loss, the, the weight of it, it really hit me about six weeks after he died. But in those six weeks, like, there were so many people who came to me and they're like, please let me know if I can do anything. Like, I, I remember... You know, my best friends lived on the other side of the country at the time, and they sent me a basket of, like, crackers and cheese and, and grapes and things. And they sent me it, like, two, three days after Will died. And then, you know, we had the funeral, we did the ceremony things, and then I, you know, went home to to sleep in in our house, in, and I remember there was a, a conversation between the two of them that they told me about later and they were like, should we send another basket? And I, I responded to them being like, no, I, I don't need any more like crackers and cheese right now. But that was like the narrative, right? Like that's the story that we've been, we were showed growing up is that, you know, you, you send some food and you go to the funeral and, and then that's it. But they're like, you know, we love you so much and we, we see the pain that you're in. We, we don't know what to do now. And so my hope with the book is that, you know, the people who are really looking for the answers to what do I do, how do I help, how do I not make this worse, um, can pick up a copy and it will give them more agency and confidence in how they're going to support this person that they care about through the long haul of their grief. I really, I, I'm like so... I'm kind of overwhelmed with the whole idea of the fact that someone thought about this, hmm. right? Like, I, because like you said, our society is not like that. And so for no. someone to finally go, okay, 
We need to help these people. I mean, the person that is grieving, they're grieving. Like, they're going to get one way or another without them even realizing it. But to be able to be the one that gives that help, right, it's mm. just, I think that we all want to do that for someone. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, and I, I honestly think, I think that's, you know, being there to support someone who's going through a really hard time is is one of the most important roles that we could ever take on as as human beings, right? You know, we we could be parents and and we can be support people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's that's what it comes down to, right? Like seeing seeing the people that we love through through the most challenging parts of being human. Right. So when you're, I, I could just imagine, like when you're helping you know, someone who's grieving and their, you know, family and friends come around when, I don't know if you ever are in that situation where, like, you're with them. You probably hear a lot, you know, time will heal, right? Mm. (laughs) I mean, do you correct them? Because, I mean, let's face it, time doesn't heal anything, right? You need to heal it. You need to be able to let certain feelings go. Yeah, I mean, I, I pick my battles. (laughs) right um there's a great chapter in the book called poetry cliches and nonsense and it it really captures some of the the terrible cliches that that people use when we talk about grief you know time heals all wounds or they wouldn't want you to feel this way or you're so strong um and you know, they, they get thrown around, I think, because people are just kind of fumbling over their words. But I think the best thing that you can do is, is really just be honest. And that is, you know, sometimes that, like, this is really bad. Like, this right. is a really shitty situation. And I am so sorry that you are in this. And I am so and that sorry that, that, yeah, often it's better than the cliche, right? Like, and often, you know, I think people people enter a grief support space with the goal of making the person feel better. And you're already setting yourself up for failure if that's your mindset. You know, your, your intention when you enter a space should simply be to be present there, to, to bear witness and be willing to accept your person in whatever state they are in. Because that's, that's what grieving people need. They need to be validated that, you know, the feelings, the experience that they're having because this person who they cared about died, like, is okay. That, that they are allowed to be this overcome with emotion. And part of that is because they had such a significant relationship with them, right? But when we deny right. people the, the ability, like, the space to, witness those emotions like that's when they get stuck and it's not the person's fault it's the people around them who aren't giving them the space that their grief is worthy of Um, right and I think that's that's really where we we go wrong in our culture right now right well our culture has a lot of these kinds of little you know um what sure does Right? But I mean, like I said, the fact that there's somebody who is willing to open up that, you know, that window or that story so that 
people can be more because I don't think we do it on purpose. We don't know what to say. We like people in general do not like to talk about feelings or know mm-hmm. someone else's feelings because they don't know what to do with it. Right? I think this yeah. is more of an opportunity for them to say, okay, so even though I don't know what to say or I don't know what to do, all, if all I have to do is listen and let them know that I'm here to help if they need it, if that's all I have to do, that's good. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's not, it's not anything crazy. You don't have to be wildly skilled. You just have to be able to, to sit in a space with right. someone and maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable for a little while. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I just love it. I'm going to get your book today. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you. <laughs> if there was one thing you could say to our listeners um, on this topic of, you know, being the support uh, for someone grieving, what would that be? Yeah, my, my best lesson and advice to people when – you know, they're going to be taking on a a grief support role is toss out any idea that you have that you can fix this. Like you should not be around to problem solve unless someone is asking for your help to problem solve. What I advocate for is doing what you can to make this person's life easier and more comfortable. And when you use those two factors in your approach, you are setting yourself up for success, and you're going to be much more helpful um, to the person who you care about. Thank you so much. Now, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, um, how would they do that? Yeah, um, you can go to my website. My website is AllieBird.com, or you can find me on social media at The Allie Bird. Thank you so much for joining me. And oh. uh, I'm so, like, grateful to have learned this from you today. Uh, and I know that, oh. you know, there's a few tools in my pocket already just from this little chat that we've had, but your book will give me much more. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Tina. This was, this was really wonderful. I appreciate it a lot. Awesome. Thank you. Confidence in Bloom is a celebration of self-love, a confirmation that you're an amazing, desirable, brilliant, gorgeous, talented woman, even though you may not look like a screen star or a supermodel. The truth is they don't even look like that. We offer unconditional love to our partners, our children, our extended family, even our pets. It's high time we got out of our own way and learned to unconditionally love ourselves. Chic definitely does come in every shape. So if you want something to believe, start with yourself. If you'd like to be a guest here on Confidence in Bloom and chat with me, contact me through Instagram at InfoBloomStyling or by email at tina at InfoBloomStyling.com or through the Divas That Care website. Thanks for listening. This show was brought to you by Divas That Care. Connect with us on Facebook, on Instagram, and of course on DivasThatCare.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss a thing.